Am I supposed to do anything else? Oh, boy. Okay. Well, uh, welcome. <laughs> and it is wonderful to be back. Uh, I, I, I'm going to be sitting in this chair today because sometimes I do what's a chat. Adam Carpenter loves it when I just sit in the chair and not be all intense and roaming around sort of, you know, doing that kind of thing. And I, what I really have in my heart today is really a chat. It truly is. I just want to, there's something that God is stirring in my heart, and I think it's still developing, but I want to share it with you, and I want us to sort of catch a hold of something as we start heading into the year and what God is doing. And I'm just very, very excited about this. Now, in order to sort of set it up for what it was, first of all, let me say thank you to this body that encourages and supports us when we take an extended period of time like this. Thank you for that. I just can't even begin to tell you how loved we feel. That nobody gives us a hard time about this. If you have, you haven't emailed me and thank you for not doing it now. <laughs> but, but seriously, what I get is a ton of encouragement. I get emails and, and little things, you know, Facebook posts and so on. And John and Roger standing up here and saying, you know, that we support this and so on. And it just makes us feel loved. It makes us feel really cared for. And it really allows us to go out, to recalibrate, to connect in different ways than what is the other parts of the year, right? So it's just a blessing. You guys are a blessing. And, and that's kind of where I want to go because I want to show you something about what happened on the trip and then a really cool thing that happened at the end of the trip. So right now I'm going to show you the United States, but I want to tell you, I think I'm on, but I don't know if I'm clicking. Okay, so take the Mississippi and go straight down and then understand we traveled on every one of those roads <laughs> because, not quite, but, uh, but it was pretty much like this. We would drive for a couple of days and then we'd be somewhere for two or three days and then we would drive for a couple of days and be somewhere two or three days and drive for a couple of days. And we did that for weeks, okay? So I'm a little exhausted, frankly. But here's what we got to do now. Now watch how cool this is. The first few days were at a retreat in Winthrop, which is northern, right, kind of a, well, if you don't know where Winthrop is, you need to go there, it's fun, and it was an incredible place. But we had a retreat there, and then after three or four days, we took off for um, Sandpoint, Idaho, which is where my oldest brother lives. And we got to spend some time with my oldest brother. I want you to hear family here. Then there was a bit of a change. We were supposed to go to Jackson to drive back down to California in order to go to a memorial for my uncle. But my parents are well, but ailing and couldn't make the trip. So we took, went from Sandpoint down to Napa Valley, California, where it ended up at the last minute that I ended up doing the eulogy. And I have to tell you, it was a God thing all the way. I really, it was um, unbelievable and loved my uncle. And it was just amazing what happened. But I got to see all my cousins on one side. I only have two sides, but anyway, all my cousins on the one side. Does everybody only have two sides? It seems like sometimes you end up with more than that, okay? But I saw all the Jaeger cousins, and then I saw some of the Brunk folks too, and I got to see a couple of brothers, and it was a very family time. Then hop in the car, drive back up to Jackson Hole, where my daughter Chappelle is here, where, where the new family, the new Brunk family was together for the very first time, which is to say both my daughters are now engaged, they're going to be married, so it was the girls and their boys... Okay, and, and it was really wonderful, and we got this time together as the new family unit and, and everything, and it went very, very well. So that was family, and my folks were there. So I got to spend some time with my folks. And then we drive down to Denver, 
where we got to spend a little time with Chappelle as she was working through some wedding stuff and other things and so on, but got to spend time with her and Tyler. And then we drove out to Omaha and we spent time with Shalimar and her boyfriend talking about, or fiance, talking about the wedding and seeing where they want to have it and all that kind of stuff. Very cool thing, very different, you know, types of weddings and so on and everything else. Then, then we drove back up to Jackson Hole, Wyoming and actually got some alone time with my folks, which was really important, really precious. The thing that we, it was super high on our list of what we wanted to accomplish, if you can say a vacation that way. And then, just because we'd done so much driving that it seemed reasonable to us, we went about eight hours out of our way on the way home to Eugene, Oregon, so as to pick up Chappelle who, and bring her up here for the weekend, and she was seeing some friends and so on. So what I want you to hear is, is that this was weeks of family. And I like my family. For some people, weeks of family is, you know, what layer of hell? But uh, for me, it's what layer of heaven. I like these people. I, and there was this great joke that I read on the way there, and it said, uh, it said, my phone died, and I got to talk to my family. They seem like nice people. <laughs> and mine are. I mean, genuinely real and, and awesome, and I, it was just life-giving, and it's wonderful. And I got to spend time with my family, but I want to tell you something, and this is the cool thing. So it's about a week and maybe a week and a half now, and we're back in Jackson and before we're coming back, and my thoughts are starting to turn back towards home. And I'm telling you, I've had a wonderful time traveling and being with family and being able to be off and get refreshed and everything else. But as I'm walking, something really cool happens. Now, here's what should have happened, and then I want to tell you what's cooler than what you're about to see. When I go for a walk in Jackson Hole, this is what I'm walking in front of. This is on my walk. That's the Tetons. There's the Grand over there disappearing. There's Mount Buck. There's a really good ski field right over here. Okay, and then you come down, and then uh, you just, you, you see that? It's just, it's just this, just out of nowhere, this wall of granite rock mountains comes. There's a pond right next door that they're working on, and then there's the ski hill right there. I want to point that out. Very important. Okay, uh, but, but the point is, is, you know, when you're walking in that place, you're talking about the glory of God, and you're talking to God. I mean, there's nothing else you should be thinking about, right? I mean, I literally, I came back home to Julie after one of my walks, and I said, Cal, I go on my walks in front of the Tetons, and I just feel more empowered when i just being there. It, like, lifts me up. It's, like, so powerful and so majestic and so wonderful that I'm just, you know what I mean? And so that's what you would think my prayer time was about. But interestingly, what I started thinking about was here. And it wasn't because of the sermon. It was just, I was wanting to be home with my family. You know, I've been spending time with my family. i got a great family. I love, I, I wish we were closer. I'm trying to figure out how to do that and have all you be there so you're all moving at some point in time. <laughs> Probably when the kids have kids, okay? So, but I just had this thing where I just started thinking about the people here and all the various people that I love and that have become so deeply ingrained and wedded into our lives in such a tender, important, precious, life-giving, wonderful way. And I just started having this thing about family and the fullness of family, not just the blood relation, but the Christ blood relation.
the fullness of that, what he intends. And that's what makes me, that's when he started speaking to me about what he wanted to speak to us about. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. So, real vision here. But uh, who's our prayer for today? Oh, Johnny Wasaki. That is just perfect. Okay, what a great, this is a terrific husband, father, an amazing family, the whole nine yards. John, love you. Pray for the church. Lift up another church too, would you? Or pray for the sermon, I mean. You just talk loud. Just talk loud. Okay. Oh, here we go. Thank you, Lord. I was at a family reunion yesterday, so family's on my mind as well. Thank you, Lord, for um, just bringing Kurt, uh, having, letting Kurt spend time with his family and bringing him back to this family. Amen. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would anoint this chat this morning, that the things that you have placed in his heart, uh, he would be able to speak uh, clearly and with authority to us. Uh, today, I think of I was thinking earlier of um, John the Baptist who said of Christ, he must increase, I must decrease. And so Amen. I just pray that uh, you would uh, be magnified and Kurt would be diminished with all Amen. due respect to Kurt. Amen. I also pray, uh, thinking of family, I pray for our brothers and sisters on the east side, especially those churches who will be participating a week from today Amen. in the celebration in the park that... Uh, in those bodies this morning, that they would also be seeking you and hearing your voice and responding. We pray all this in your name. Thank Amen. you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, John. So when I was in Jackson, uh, I, I was talking with a really, really dear friend who's just, all, you know, family too, right? And met together. And... Um, and and I was talking to him about what had happened while I was gone. This thing about the people that have come up and preached. And I was talking to him about it in a very specific way that I'm about to get to, but I want to tell you what he did is, is, is that he stopped me in the conversation and he said, this is, I'm paraphrasing, so forgive me, John, if I'm not getting the story exactly right, but, uh, but here's, what, here's what basically what he said was he said, it's just really interesting, and he, he didn't say it, but he, but he was implying, almost difficult for me to hear about you going away and having these people from the congregation come up and preach and about having it go so incredibly well. And he said, and the reason why is because I left a church that we both were very close to and, and served in and so on together. On the day that, a pastor who's a very good guy, and, and I'm, I think this happened a few years ago, and I'm sure he's, the guy has repented of it, and I'm sure I actually feel like some things are happening there to help reconcile some heartache and some hardship that took place. But the bottom line was, is that this guy, a very, very good speaker, very good speaker, and, you know, highly educated, strong crowd, you know what I mean? And so people that are, you know, discerning about things and so on. And so... So he went away for two weeks, and he had the associate pastor and the youth pastor preach. And by all reports, and I'd heard about it at the time, they went well. Uh, but when he got back, some people had talked to him about, the, you know, how these people weren't as good as he was, and the da-da-da. And when he came back, literally the first words out of his mouth, this is about the only negative thing I'm going to say about anything today. Um, but what he said was, as he said, 
so I was gone for two weeks, and I understand that things got really out of control, and that we put up people here that shouldn't have been preaching, and I want to apologize to everybody, and I want to assure you that that'll never happen again. <laughs> I just want to, I literally said that, I just want to take a knife and just go, <laughs> you know. Uh, it was just, and like I say, I think there's a lot of reconciliation that's about to happen there. I think God's moving. This was some years ago. But, but I want you to contrast that with what happened here. And it's not because Lake Sam is so special. I never want anybody to understand Lake Sam as unique and better than. I just want you to understand it as a congregation is trying to do everything that they can to follow God, and when you do that, amazing things happen. Right? And anybody who wants to follow him, that'll happen with. And years ago, God started saying that he was going to blow up church and change things because of discipleship, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But the bottom line was is that what he went after was is this idea that I needed to start, we needed to start really doing church completely differently than we'd ever seen. And we had no idea what that meant. But that we were to take and do every step that he was saying. And one of the steps he told us to do, what, three, four years ago now, was to start having people from the congregation preach. And I want to say, in the last four weeks, and I'm going to, Carlson's were great too, but I'm just doing the ones that were from this congregation. Justine stood up there and preached a sermon about Thomas the Train and getting his kudos from God because he does so much for God. And about what an abominable, what a, what a totally wrong-headed understanding of God that is. That God loves us. And that anything we do comes out of that. Not the other way around. Which is a tremendous thing to say when you're looking at empowered. Right? Because when we're talking about being empowered by the Holy Spirit, you can get the idea, well, God loves me because he does work through me. We have to understand that God loves us. And one of the things that we get to do is stuff, right? But the one follows the other, not the other way around. And we do something very bad when we switch them around, when we make our love dependent upon what we do in our own minds and when we have any thought about that. Then Carlson's, but then, and they were great, but then Kara stood up here. And I want to make something clear, Kara. You're not old enough to have preached what you preached. You're just not. She talked about leadership, and she talked about this, this idea that we're, you know, leadership is for leaders. But it turns out we're all leaders, and that it isn't actually about leading. It's about following. It's about knowing him. And when you know him, you just are a leader to a world that needs him. Is that a fair enough summation, close enough? Now, I just want to say, the way that she talked about it, in the run-through and in the other thing, I had, I had all three run-throughs were like this, but at the end of the run-through, I usually have a lot of, we do a sermon run-through to just kind of help and everything else. And I usually have a lot of comments and everything else. But, but I just went, at the end of the run-through, I went, I, I'm afraid to say anything. <laughs> because you have so beautifully identified something that's so important for us to understand that it's about our relationship with him and it flows out of and that's it's just as a natural thing that we end up leading. And then, and Will, I don't, are you the same age as Karen or not? Because you're not old enough to have preached what you preached either. And I think you're a few years older, but, but I just want to really make it clear 
uh, I, I want to make it, here's how clear I want to make it. When Will Lee's in the middle of his sermon run-through, this is what I post on Facebook. I quit listening to him because I knew that there was no point in it because there was no way that I was going to say anything about what he was telling me on his preach run-through because I wasn't going to touch that sermon with a 10-foot pole, and that's what I told you at the end of it. I said, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything here. God has done way more than I would have ever helped you with, and I'm afraid to do anything because of what he did. And this is what I posted in the middle of him doing about two-thirds of the way through. I said, listening to Willie's sermon for tomorrow, wow, I'm blown away. I never want to preach again. I want to explain that, so hold that in your mind. I want to bring this kind of thing over and over. God is truly raising up a generation where he's written himself upon their hearts. And let me say something. Yes, I'm talking to a younger guy when I said that, but I don't mean age at all. God is raising up a generation, no matter what age you are, to where he's starting to write something on our hearts. Can you feel it? It's true, isn't it? It's a season where God is taking his finger and he's writing something in people's hearts. And suddenly you know things that you're not supposed to know. I, I just need to tell you a quick little story. And I said I was going to do one negative, but I'm going to do two. Okay. Somebody posted this thing about this guy and he's preaching on healing. And I care a lot about healing. And this is a very famous person on healing. And I, I pop over and I listen to the thing on healing, to the live feed on healing. And he says, okay, I catch it right when he says, okay, now here's the principles for healing. Here's the number one principle for healing. Number one, better than anything else. The most important thing, if you don't have this one, you don't have any of it. If you do not believe completely that God is going to heal you, you will never be healed. And I want to say, I think four or five years ago, I would have been able to hear that and still listen to him. But that was so formulaic. That was so much less than the God that he's been revealing himself to me and others to be. The God of grace. It's not even biblical, you understand. There is the guy who says, you know, if you believe anything can happen, I believe, help my unbelief. Right? Is it mercy? <laughs> Love, God, real God, not formulated God, not compartmentalized and figured out God, infinite God, we're finite trying to find him, real God, loving God, holding his arms around us and walking us on a journey that is phenomenal, God. Prudence has to go for something else. I just want you to know, okay? Because I love Prudence, and it's so awesome to have her here. But she wasn't walking out because of what I just said. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> but, do you, but this idea about that formulaic God, it was just so clear to me. It just, it just, I just went, I just can't stomach another formula about God. Because it would be like somebody coming and telling me about Julie by telling me a bunch of rules and principles. And I would just say, you just, you've so missed the glittering glory that is Julie. You know, when you go there with it. And I want to say, Will, in your sermon, here's what Will said. He took Psalm 22 and he deconstructed it in a way to say, the number one thing that you're struggling with is the thing that God is using the most in your life and it's not just for you privately. You bring it into the public sphere, into the sphere of your family, into the sphere of those that love you, because your journey is going to help them. I don't, I've never had that thought like that. When I said, 
I, I don't want to preach again. I want God to bring this kind of thing. You have to do both things together. The reason why I don't want to preach again is because I don't want to hear what I know anymore. I want to hear what you know. Literally. I'm sitting here going, what you know seems to be better than what I know. I think every once in a while I can bring something that's of some value. Thank you, God. So I think I get to preach every once in a while still. But can I make something clear? Do you understand that having people from the congregation preach is stupid? Do you understand that you would never plan something like that because it's ridiculous? Do you understand that in terms of fear, people's fear that it goes dentists, then death, then public speaking? Public speaking is people fear that more than the dentist and more than death. And we've been doing it for four years. And I believe my own assessment is we've never had less than a six. Which a seven or an eight is very good and should be about normal for most churches, right? Every once in a while you get a ten, but you, know, you live somewhere in there. I actually think that we're averaging somewhere in the eights, maybe even a nine. We've only had a couple of sixes, I think. I'm not saying who that they were. Don't speculate, okay? But what I'm saying is, is that we've had so many amazing sermons from people in this body that took us down the road. They weren't like, here's what we're preaching about, and now somebody says something different, and now we get back to what we were doing. No, they're totally in the flow. You take those three sermons. When I heard what they were before, I said, yeah, that's what God wants us to do. It was totally in the flow of everything we're doing. And that's why I, I, I need to say this. Jerry Cook came and preached right before he passed away. You know, we were one of the last churches, and he took two weeks here, and he preached. And Jerry is awesome. Jerry is my favorite preacher in the world ever. Okay? And he was awesome. And no disrespect to Jerry whatsoever. And Jerry, if you're listening, love you. But bottom line was, is it was the worst two sermons of the year. Not because they weren't good sermons, but because the people who God is bringing up out of our body are saying something that's in the flow, that's in the anointing, that's in this process of what God was doing. And Jerry's sermons were not bad. Don't misunderstand me, please. But that's just how I process it. Maybe you process it differently. I love you. You can do anything you want to do. But what I'm doing is, is I'm sitting here blown away by what God is doing. And I think he's done something. I think the reason we've never had something less than a six is this. Mercy. I think that we said we were going to do whatever God said. And then he told us to do something that we all knew to be stupid. And God said, it's okay. I'll CYA you. CY rear end you. Okay, cover your rear end, right? Sorry. I didn't do that well, did I? <laughs> That's awesome. But I really think he's been covering us. I think he said, you guys are doing what I'm asking you to do, and so I'm just going to cover you. I'm just going to protect you. I'm not going to let anybody make a fool of themselves. And I'm not going to let, you know, when we first started doing this, you do realize that we could totally track when the guest speaker was. Because we'd go like this, and then here was the speaker, and then attendance, right? We could totally track that. We don't track numbers much, but you could track that, right? You know now, it's almost the other way. <laughs> not every person that preaches that we go up, but a lot of times, and how many times have you heard, I'll say to someone, oh, so-and-so's going to speak, and people say, oh, man, I've been, I've been really wanting to hear them speak. I would love to hear what they have to say. Do you know how much of a culture change we've had to experience to get from the consumer critical mindset of normal church to a family 
that is trying to do everything they can to encourage the people that are here and wants to hear from them. When John Bannerman stood up here last week and talked about Will speaking and talking about the kind of church that we are, that this is what we do, and how excited he was to have Will come speak, my heart was leaping within me. This isn't, this isn't a show. This isn't a fake, a facade. This is God doing something incredible. And here's what I really think. I think that he's been CYAing us for a long time, for years, keeping us from having a bad one so that people will stay excited about it. But I honestly think that sometime this year it started to shift to something different, and the different is that I think he's starting to say things to us that you would never have gotten from me, that you would have never have gotten from any one single pastor preaching, no matter how much better than me they are. One single person cannot do what we can period and I think he's starting to show that I think people are starting to say this is a family this is a you know I I can't wait to hear that person preach and then they're pulling for him and then something really incredible comes out and I think God is broadening and deepening and I think he's going all sorts of different places that literally make me want to say for real I don't want to preach anymore and I love preaching but I want to hear this <laughs> I want to hear what's in you I want to hear what God's doing in you. I want to hear what God's put in you to give to us. What do you think? That's cool. Does that sound like maybe what church is actually supposed to, to be? What maybe it's supposed to look like? If I had to say, I, I really think that this is a season. You've heard me talk a lot about seasons and so on. And, and you know, I'll, I'll get to what seasons are. But if, when there's, in seasons, the key to it is there's only one time that you plant a crop. Right? You don't plant a crop in September. You plant a crop in the spring, and not even the whole of the spring. The spring's 25% of the year, right? But you, you plant in a few weeks. In the spring. That's when you plant. And you remember, the way that God made things reveals to us who he is and how he does things. And so he's planting at one time, and then things start to grow, and we're weeding, and we're tending, and we're growing, and learning, and, and increasing in it. And then there comes a harvest time, which is a little bit what I think we're experiencing right now. But, but there's this harvest where there's all this really good stuff that you're feeding off of, and wow, it's really doing good. But then comes a summer, I mean a, a winter, when, when things kind of uh, go dead. It, if I could say it this way, it's kind of like in the normal process. Look, God is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. Do we all understand that? But we're not. God's the same. But we're all over the map. Finite beings trying to learn about an infinite God, and God is wanting to reveal more and more of himself. So what happens is, is that he does something. He plants something in our hearts He'll start speaking something to the church. And for those who want to listen, they'll listen. And for those who have their other agendas and their other plans and so on, they get to do them. 
But the point is, is he'll say something, and if you'll get it, it'll start going down in deep, and he'll start doing something with that, and it'll start growing all of a sudden. It'll become something, wow, from that, we got that, how did that happen? And wow, then it's all of a sudden this great fruit, and then it'll come the next time. And I really think that this is a season, I'm going to make this argument now, where God is doing something new. He's starting, I think he's just starting to speak this. There's a church size that best facilitates family. Watch this. Again, I'm a, I'm a broad thinker, so I'm, I'm penning in broad strokes. You could disagree with my exact analysis of this, that, or the other thing, but what I want to do is, is I, I want to paint in some broad strokes for you, okay? In about the early 2000s, God started allowing the rise of the megachurch. There's, we're going to have megachurches for a long time, but megachurches have done a lot of awesome, incredible, wonderful things. So this is not against megachurches. But he started allowing these churches to come up. And it went, 2,000 was the definition for megachurch. If we were defining it today, we would change that to about 10. Because there's all kinds of churches that are over 10,000 people. I mean, they're just huge. Chappelle uh, has switched churches recently, I think, or something, I don't know. But, but she was going to a church that added 1,700 people in the summer. In three months in the summer, they're growing so fast that they added 1,700 people. Okay? And I don't know how big it is now. But the point is, is God allowed for the megachurch. Now, always understand something. When God allows for something, he's doing something that's important. But he's also doing something else. And the something else turns out to be more important than what was important. If we had to say what was going on in the allowing for the megachurches, I think there was a, just a tremendous number of people who started. There was a lot of salvations. We were talking a lot about secret sensitivity back then and so on. That was actually a little earlier. But, but then we started getting it a little bit more right and so on. And there was a lot of people that were coming in. There was a lot of salvations. There was a lot of in. And there was a lot of switch from sort of mainline dead denominational to. And that's not to say all mainline denominationals have to be dead. Uh, Bellevue Prez, which is the major marker for Jubilee Reach and Jubilee Service Day, is one of the most phenomenal churches I've ever seen in my life. And they're our neighbor, and we are deeply connected with them in all kinds of ministry things that we do and so on, and I love them. Okay, and they're a big church. But the point is, is that God was doing something, but then there's always this under thing of what he's doing too. As we start to take it to where we take things, as opposed to what he was doing with it. There's a lesson to be learned, in other words. And I have to say that I really believe that what's happening right now is that God is starting to say, I want you to see what's wrong with the crowd. It, it, okay, now watch. I'm a church guy, right? So I think in church terms. Did you, what's, what, how big do you think the average church is in America? Just say a number. Average church. How much? How big? 275. What else? It's 100. The average church size is 100. Still is. Even with the mega churches. Does that seem weird to you? Does that seem small? The average church size is 100 people. The biggest barrier to growth in any church is roughly 300 attending regularly. That's right about where we are, somewhere in that ballpark. We're a little less than that, but right in there. But you catch it? When you get to that size, there's a huge barrier that doesn't happen. And here's what 
Everybody will tell you, it's the largest barrier of growth that there is in all church thing, and everybody's working on church growth, you know, lots of smart people doing things and so on. But here's what everybody will say about that barrier and why it's the biggest single barrier. When you're below 300, everybody's important. When you're above 300, it's a crowd, and you have to manage the crowd. You have to become an organization. You have to learn how to do the stuff that you do, Right? in order to run bigger crowds. And, and, and Jack Hayford said about the megachurch pastors that are coming up, he said, what you have to understand about these megachurch pastors is most of them are phenomenal managers. They're also very good speakers and so on, but they are phenomenal managers. That's true. I know them. That's true. I'm not, hence this. But I think, I think God did that on purpose. I really do mean it. You have to understand, I'm not, I'm not immune to wanting 100,000 people in our church. I'm not. But what I am is I'm extremely oriented to trying to find the Lord, and that becomes a little more of a narrow cast than what you do when you start dumbing down to lowest common denominator to run a business principle about how to grow your business. I want us to just think through that for a second. I want us to just think through what's the things that drives people. Here's, if, if we were to do this, and we're going to do this in a second, so start putting on your thinking cap. I'm going to ask you questions about it, but watch this. What is God revealing on a corporate level? What's a corporation about? What are they going for? Excellence. That's the premium of value, right? The more excellent we are, the more customers we'll have, the more money we'll make, the more margin we can have, et cetera, et cetera, right? The premium, the value is on excellence. It's on, it's on doing it really well and ever better. But if you're in a family, where's the premium? Where's the value? It's on raising up each family member. To the point, as I'll show later, but to the point that you will give up excellence. You'll trade excellence in a heartbeat for someone to grow, right? A good parent lets the, lets the child try. Maybe they do well, maybe they don't. You see what I'm saying? But you know, your, your goal is not getting the project done. Your goal is the human being, the child, the person that you're raising up. That's a family, right? If I'm right, if, if, I'm, if, if I'm, and I, you know, I want to argue that I've said these kinds of things before in the 16 years that I've been here. I've said I think there's a season happening, and I think for the most part they've proven out to be that way. I would, I would submit for your consideration the last time that, I, that we did a big move like this, and I said that it was 2008 when I said discipleship's in the toilet. And this is before anybody was saying that, and I didn't make that up. I got that because I felt God started telling me the discipleship was in the toilet, and it was directly correlated to, guess what? Mega churches with incredibly talented pastors who were doing the work. And people went from, people went increasingly from a smaller church where they had to be active in the worship, and that didn't make it excellent, but it was good, and they were trying, or, or they were, there was a ministry, or there was a, or, you know, whatever it was, and that was the sort of mentality to, oh my gosh, I'd never be good enough to play on that worship team. 
because it had to be excellent. Do you see it? It had to be superb. Business principles. But, you know, business, I'm not, corporations aren't evil. Corporations are trying to do right by their people and right by the people that they serve and so on, too. So it's not an evil versus good. It's just two totally different ways of looking at what you're doing. And what I want us to see when we're looking at this, what we learned from what God told us was, is that we had a whole bunch of pastors here that were doing a whole bunch of ministry, and they were growing like weeds and doing really well. And we had a whole lot of ministries that were doing really well and doing all this kind of stuff, but the people themselves were doing less and less as the pros did more and more. And that was precisely what we came and we said, is we said, the pros are the problem, and we're going to flip this thing. We're going to get rid of the pros so that we have to raise up. We started steering teams, and we're still doing them. And then we started other things, and we started, then we started having people come. We did it with the worship steering team, and we did it with the preaching, and we've done it with everything. And we've been raising up people and bringing people in and bringing people in and bringing people in and doing this kind of stuff because I think that what's happened is, is that people have been growing a lot more. Because what, if, if, you had to, if you had to boil down everything that we're doing, it runs like this. We're trying to take church from being a passive experience that you come in and consume and fold your arms and listen and critique. That's what a consumer does, right? To people that are, right? Eric Lee sang to me on a retreat, first time I'd ever heard it out of anybody's mouth. I think I have a sermon. In a normal church setting, there's no reason for you to think you have a sermon because you're not going to get to say it. But when Eric Lee said that, the Lord just went, it's working. <laughs> that was the first time. And now I've got people that are contacting me, and please feel free to, and I'm contacting people, and, and people that would normally say no are saying yes. See? There's something entirely different that is taking place. And what I think is happening right now is, and you are seeing the beginning of it here, and I'm not talking, I'm not going to talk about Mars Hill. Some people, I had some things that I really want to talk about. Can I say something really clear? We should be able to talk about churches in a way that is healthy and that is good. We can't. We still can't. Okay? You know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, I really wanted to, there's some excellent things to be learning about what's happening right now in our community with Mars Hill. And some of you know what that means and some of you don't. And I'm not going into it at all. Okay? Here's, here's you want to hear what I feel about Mars Hill? I am praying for them. Okay? I want to see them come through a difficult season and everything has a difficult season. Everything. We have had several. They too. Everything comes through difficult seasons. When people repent, when people get things right, they learn more, they grow more, and they go on and do more things. And here's what I want, and this is my public proclamation about it. I want to see them prosper more. I want to see them continue to raise up people. I want to see them continue to save people. I want to see them continue to do an excellent work in our community because, frankly, for the most part, that's what they've done. Okay? Now, there's some other things that are going on, and that's between God and them, but it's not really between God and them. Do you understand? We're supposed to be able to talk about this stuff. We're supposed to be able to talk about it, but there's this funny little thing about human nature, and it goes like this. When we see an unknown rise up, we're really blessed by the underdog succeeding. That gives us joy. Literally, you release chemicals in your brain, and they go, I'm happy to see you raising up. This is great. The underdog's winning, right? We all love a sports story where the unknown team wins. We love that, right? But you want to know how stupid we are? How perverse we are? I wasn't looking at you for any reason whatsoever. 
here's how, here's how messed up we are. You actually get more pleasure from seeing the powerful fall than from seeing the underdog raise up. It's just sick. It's just stupid. In Christ, we are lifting each other's arms. My daughters, both of them, will make more money this year than I do. I'm thrilled. Hallelujah. Yeah, there's a lot of parents in there saying, God, I wish that was happening. Okay? But I am thrilled to see them do better than I ever did. It, it, what joy should there be more in the world than to see your children do better than you ever did? Period. And they're on that track. Right? This is what life is supposed to be, and we're supposed to be able to talk soberly and adultly about the other things that are going on in the body of Christ because we're all one church. We are not Mars Hill and Lake Sam and Bell Prez and Neighborhood Church and all that. That's what we've been for a long time, but that's not what God did. That's what we did in the hardness of our hearts. He didn't want divorce, but it happens, Right? And we've got all this separation and all this stuff when God said, the way that the world will know that you're mine is when you're all one. So we should be able to lift the arms of one another and be able to talk about it and learn from it and grow from it and do all these kinds of things, but we don't. We can't. Because if I opened up and started talking to you about what I'm learning as I am watching and learning from what Marcel's going through, if I were to open my mouth and talk about this kind of stuff, it would just put a negative, horrible muck on this whole thing. And what I'm trying to talk to you about is something glorious. But I want to say something. When God starts to do something, the one thing that you always find is, hey, what do you do in spring before you plant? You plow. Now, in today's more or less, you know, aggressive to the soil, we plow and plant at the same time. So they're literally plowing right before they're planting. They call it low-till. And it keeps more of the topsoil, right? But still, you've got to plow in order to plant. You gotta shake, as it says in the Bible. You gotta shake the tree whom he loves, he prunes. So they can be more profitable. Right? And so I think there's something that I want you to watch. I may be wrong, I may be right. Who knows? But the bottom line is, is I think that there's something that God is trying to tell the body. And because the body doesn't talk about this stuff, we're not learning it. And so we continue to make the same mistake, right? The old saying, if you don't learn from your history... You're just going to repeat it. And what's happening is, is I think God's trying to say something. I think he showed us something with the rise of the megachurch and the incredibly talented pastor and the drop of discipleship. Wasn't there a lesson in there to be had? <laughs> that there was a conflict between those two things. Not that it couldn't be overcome because there's some wonderful big churches that are doing a great job of overcoming that problem and raising up people. But the bottom line is, I'm, I'm, what I'm presenting to you is, is, I think God's saying something. I think he's saying there's an optimal size. He's been saying it for a long time. Nobody's just listened to it. There's a size where you're not a crowd. You're a family. You're a body. And everybody's important. I went out to, uh, I was talking with Kevin Prowlis, and Kevin Prowlis is one of our leaders, and, and I'm... I think God's got a calling on him, and I'm, I'm walking with him to see what that all means and so on. And Kevin and I are talking, and, and we're sitting there, and I said to him, I said, you know, Kevin, you joined a barbershop choir. He's also in a barbershop quartet, and he's quite a good singer, and he's become a better singer through it. So anybody who wants to learn how to sing, do that, because, man, he's, you know, it's really, he's just an incredible singer. 
But here's the point. I said to him, I said, Kevin, I said, I said, you will not miss a practice or a performance of that choir. And there's a lot of voices in the choir. Why won't you miss any of them? Why are you so committed to never missing them? Here was his answer. Because even though there's a lot of different voices, particularly in barbershop, each one of them has a certain tonal quality that we're using to create that barbershop, you know, that different kind of harmony that barbershop has? And he said, if I'm not there, they don't have the necessary part that I bring to create that sound. I have to be there. And I said, okay, now help, help me build a church that every person that goes to that church feels exactly that way about church. I have to be there. I don't want you to come because you have to come because God said you have to come to church on Sunday. Can I tell you? That's the worst reason to come to church. The worst one, by far. Because it just makes you mad when you walk in the door. It makes you mad when you're driving here. It makes you mad when you walk in the door. It makes you mad when you go home. It makes you mad when I preach too long. Okay? I want us to come to church because we're just saying, I bring something. And it's so important. Can I tell you, we're not even close to there, are we? We're a lot closer than we were. I think we've gone this huge distance, which is about 15 to 20% of where God's actually trying to get us. Let me, let me just show you what I'm talking about. What then? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. That's just one scripture out of many where God is talking about what a body is. Needing hands and eyes and feet and ears, legs and feet and, see? Can I say something? In the way that we run church, is that happening? Here's what's happening. Oh my God, thank you for all the people that set up chairs here and that clean up and set up and tear down and everything else. Thank you for doing that. That's so important. Everybody should be doing some of that, right? Many hands make light work. Everybody should be doing some of that. But churches will try and turn that into your hymn or your song. And here's what I want to say. No, it's much more important than that. Not that that isn't important, because that is, and thank you for it. But here's what's being said. You're supposed to be bringing some. I stopped the sermon today, and I said, is there a word out there from somebody? Serenity, have you ever given a word before in church? Yeah. And that was an excellent word. Everybody comes with a hymn and a song and a revelation and a word and an interpretation. And if you're not here, the body of Christ has lost, is lesser. But you see, the way that we do church, we don't even make room for it. You, you know, you're not supposed to be able to let people just say prophecy, because who knows what they might say. Right? You know, if we get into a problem, we're going to get into a problem, and we're going to learn from the problem. Right? Better to do church in this way where we're trusting God and letting him be God. We're letting him do what he wants to do. We're letting him make us a family. We're letting everybody. I'm telling you, millennials are out of church. Why? Because they don't need me. <laughs> They're doing something I don't care. I like my Sundays. 
It's not just millennials, it's everybody. Look at the church, look at every demographic. We're going down on every single demographic. And you know what? If I wasn't a pastor and I hadn't found a good church, I wouldn't go. That's not true because I always go to church. I just have always loved it. I've always felt like it strengthened me in a way that was more valuable to me than anything else. So I always went. But do you catch the drift? I'm, I'm just going after casting a vision for this. So here's what we're going to do. Right now, I'm gonna, we're going to have a discussion, so get ready, okay? I want to just have some comments here, and we're going to do this. We're going to take about 10, 12 minutes on this. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about what marks a corporation, an organization, and not as an evil thing. They're just after money, okay? I'm not talking about the big, bad, evil corporation. Heck, we all work for one in one way or another somehow. And bottom line is, is you know, corporations are moving towards this kind of management that I'm talking about. This kind of organizational, organic thing. They're moving towards it. Why? Because it works better. When you actually value the human being, it turns out the company's better for it. That's hard to do when you're Microsoft. So you get reorged, what? Is it three times a year now? Okay. Michael laughed at least, so that was, my, that was what I wanted to smile. Okay, watch. If you're a corporation, the goal is to ensure the corporate survives and thrives. That's the goal. If you work for, the goal is, the corporate's goal is the corporation itself. We say that they're not a person, and then legally we say they are a person either way. Bottom line, the corporation exists to survive and thrive, right? If you're a family, though, what's the goal? To ensure that each family member survives and thrives, each individual. Totally different emphasis, you see it? One way we're looking at the aggregate, one way we're looking at the individual. Here's another one. In corporate, we maximize ROI, that's return on investment. And to do that, we reduce costs. We may cut people's salaries, we may fire people, we may do all kinds of things. But we're trying to increase ROI, return on investment, all the time. That's how you make money, right? In a family, you're trying to maximize each person's full potential. Totally different orientation, again. In a corporation, people are hired to do projects and programs that must be done as well as humanly possible. Right? And you'll get fired if you don't do it well. And you'll get berated by if you have a bad manager because they don't know how to motivate and so they try and do it through fear or whatever. But the bottom line is, you know, they're, they're, they're pushing you to create the very best so that we're competitively viable so that we survive and thrive. In a family, the learning curve is often as important, if not more so, than getting the job done. Corporate grow numbers. You, you do understand that when we talk about measurements in churches, you do understand that for 90% of all churches, the only thing they can measure is nickels and noses. Numbers. How many people, how much money. You do understand the only measurement that God's looking at is are you growing people. We're working very, very, very hard to understand how we could measure more accurately if people are growing or not. Almost everything we've been doing for the last three or four years has been trying to move in that direction. So that we don't, the numbers are not what's important, it's the growth in people that's important. In the corporate, secrecy is critical for competitive advantage. See it? Right? You gotta keep it, right? Will Lees taught us last week that vulnerability and transparency are critical not only for your personal, but for the family's growth. Right? The kid that's going through something really difficult and it's not being handled behind the closed door, it's being handled as a family. 
and their journey becomes a learning curve. Why is it that the youngest kid is always so stinking smart? Why is it they always get along with the parents so well? You know why? Because we went before them. <laughs> and we showed them what not to do. <laughs> True? Right? The first, the second, and the third. You know what I mean? Wow, don't do that. <laughs> Just do this. And they turn out to be nice people. And you get along and everybody's happy. You laugh a lot. So how else do corporations and families differ? I, and, and just to think about it this way, what is a corporation all about and what is a family all about? And here's what I'm trying to do. This is the beginning of a conversation that we're going to have for I don't know how long, but it's going to be months, I'm sure. And we're going to be talking about how do we start rethinking what our priority is? How do we start rethinking what the spirit is? How do we start rethinking what the orientation is? How do we start rethinking so that when we think about church on a staff level and on a, on a congregant, on a body level, that we're thinking about the same thing and the right thing? Go ahead. Who's got something? Go ahead, Amy. That's awesome. You're going to be held accountable to this. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. We'll yeah. see. Um, I... I was led to stand back uh, during worship today and just, um, just during that worship time, just watching what's going on. And I actually thought, oh, in staff meeting this week, I'm going to bring that up because it was really cool what I saw. And what I saw was um, kind of family. And um, I saw um, Patricia, I'm just going to call you out because I love you, Patricia Lyon um, just uh, I, I can't even tell you how many people in the, like the last rows, she pastored her whole area. She Ooh. hugged and loved and talked to, and it was just amazing. Yeah. And then um, I saw somebody get up and walk over and get prayer. So we've got our prayer people back there ministering. And so, you know, a beautifully serenity, you know, standing up and speaking. And I just thought... Everybody brings something, but it's not always public, right? What you bring might be for, you know, the person in the row next to you. And if yeah. you're aware and just loving the people around you, and as you're setting up chairs, it could be the people that you're with that Absolutely. need a word and a touch and a hymn and, Absolutely. you know, listening and loving. In the kitchen, I see it all the time, preparing yeah. food. It's, it's a very loving yeah. environment. So. I was just struck with how much of that I saw today and just coming in and out of doors, people stopping and hugging and, yeah. and caring for one another. So that's, that's awesome. awesome. I have to tell you, coming through, I come through the kitchen. I'm usually late. And I come through the kitchen. And there's always, there's every, each week there's a different crew. So it repeats every month. And there's a different crew. And one of my favorite times of any Sunday morning is coming through the kitchen and seeing the people on that particular crew. Like this morning, you know, and I get to go up and hug them and love them and, you know what I mean? It's just so cool. All right. Who else? Can't see who that is. Oh, it's Dee. I was just thinking a way to some kind of what Amy was talking about was that to know God, the best way to know God is to see what he did. And so if we can be doers and not just thinkers, then people would know what we're about. Yeah. Awesome. Nice advertisement for next Saturday, too. Adam. 
Kirk, thank you. We need somebody over here. Come on, you're being out-represented over here. Okay, Sandy, you're up next. Go ahead, Adam. No, go ahead. Um, I was thinking, um, having spent a couple years at Microsoft myself, when there's something that doesn't go well or a mistake is made, it's immediately canceled and pushed aside and not talked about again. Yeah. And, and if it was a project, you just that's done. That's all there is to it. And I feel like a family, and especially like Sam, you've empowered us as steering teams like, to make mistakes because we want to grow from them, we want to learn, and it's okay, and so there's not a, there's not a pressure to do everything perfectly. Yeah. I do want to say the goal was not that we make mistakes. <laughs> the reality is, is that we knew that we would and that we would have charity and grace for it, that we knew that it was more important that people grow than that everything was done perfectly right. Sandy. I found in um, a couple of companies that I've worked for is that they hire people for, that have certain skill levels right. or specific skills. And as a family, you don't accept people for their skills. You incorporate their skills into the family. Yeah. Yeah. That is awesome. Who else? Philip, if somebody can get to him. Let's, let's, okay, we'll come back to you, Kelly. Philip is a, Philip and his wife are newer here. Go ahead, stand up. Uh, I want you to get to know them. They're awesome people. Go ahead. I just kind of piggyback off what she said. Is it's interesting? She talks about you know corporations. They they hire for specific talents, but the reality is most people get fired because of people skills or lack thereof. <laughs> and and that's exactly what what we do as a family is is. It's all about relationship and yeah. learning to understand and communicate and have those, those skills. Yeah, it's great. You know, it, the, the, the old saying, Justine, so work your way over there, Kirk. Uh, um, the old saying is raise a child in the way that they should go, right? That's what God says. And what, that, what, what we can take that to mean is raise them the way you think they should go. But what that means is, is God has made them particularly and uniquely and discover how he's made them and then raise them in the way that he has made them to be. Go ahead, Justine. You don't have to stand up. Thank you. <laughs> and I don't know that I have the words yet. I think out loud. Um, but I'm thinking about our six-year-old who is pulling against wanting to take on responsibility. So I say, take your plates to the sink. You know, because we're raising up a family and we're investing not just... My goal as a parent isn't just that she gets to do whatever she wants and that she feels fulfilled and happy every time. Wow. Because that's just a that's another form of consumerism. So when we talk about being a family, it's not just that you only ever have to do what's in your gifting. You only ever have to do it if you feel like it. And if you feel unloved and, and you know what I mean? There's like yeah. another element to it where you're mutually submitting to each other. Yeah. And you're saying, I don't really want to do that but I'm yeah. going to do it because I believe that I'm going to grow through it. Yeah. You know, and I even think about Jubilee or any kind of sign-up we do where people are like, I just don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. But we know as a body it's like, I don't know, there's a parental layer as well. Yeah. Um, and it's time. She needs to be yeah. okay with taking the plates to the sink because she's – and we tell our kids all the time, if you ask our little – our son – what are you growing into? He'll say, a man with this cutest little baby voice because we want him to know that that's where he's headed. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and she's growing into a lady. And so I want to say, you know, 
Yeah. Our family too, we're on a trajectory to be more like Jesus. Yeah. And that means, did that make sense? It did. <laughs> it did. You know, there's this thing in, in the church world about taking gift tests. And, and, and people that have done a lot of gift testing have always said one thing about it. They've said, if I do a gift test on you, I discover what you're good at, and then I use your gifts in the area of which you're good at it. And that's a problem. Because a gift test tells you what you're good at. It doesn't tell you what God's trying to move you to. And so what you have to do is you have to marry a gift test so that you understand something about people's natural affinities and abilities and so on. But then you have to understand that there's something else that God's calling them to. And not all of that is going to be hunky-dory, let's have fun. It's not happily ever after. You know what I mean? A lot of that is a challenge and a struggle and a growth. You don't grow without some growing pains. Uh, I saw Lori back there, and you raised your hand, and so it'll be Kelly and then Lori, and then, and then I'll come back over here, okay? So when Lawrence. you okay. When, when you started talking about your family and everything, I started looking down at my list, and, and you know, I just got back from the family picnic yesterday, right? And, and then I was thinking about my church family here, and, and you know, this is, this is, this is my, my bunch, right? This is where I love to be at. And I started listening, you know, uh, you know, we pray together. You, you know, we worship together, and, and we learn together and grow, and, 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 you know, this is my family, right? And then I started listing my, my blood relatives, and, you know, I got bingo. That was it. Bingo. And, um, I don't, we don't get bingo. What's bingo mean? Bingo. You know, bingo game, the game, bingo? Yeah. That's the closest thing my family, my, my blood relatives do to do. We don't pray together, we don't I worship together, we don't learn, we don't grow. I understand. And, and you know, every place else I go, it's, it's like, you know, I go someplace to pray with people, and, and it's like, it's look, people like, what, they, what are they doing? How dare they do that in public? You know? <laughs> and around here, it's like, it's what we all do. And, and, and I just love this place. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. I, I saw Lori, and then we're coming to Lawrence, okay, so VJ, and then we'll come down to Lucy. And I think we're going to take three or four more, okay, and then we're wrapping. Go ahead. So adding on to what Justine was saying, we have um, four kids, and they are incredibly different, every one of them. And one of their um, biggest sibling rivalries is over their differences in their personality. And one of the things we're really trying to teach them is that they need each other's differences instead of getting mad that they're not doing it the way that you want to do it. What God put them in your life for a reason because you need something about how they're different to help you grow. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of our church family too. And yeah. you know, it's not just about using my gifting for what's, what I like to do and what Justine was saying, but also I need to appreciate what God is bringing me through these other people. And when their difference is great on me and I don't like it, yeah. that's exactly where we're supposed to learn and grow and work together to be a team. I got to tell you, Lori, I think you're taking it to a whole nother level when you get to that place. When we start understanding that not only is it about us and what we contribute to it, but it is about those other people and coming to appreciate what they are, that's when we're starting to come past that brokenness inside of us that makes us get more joy out of the pulling down. We get, start getting more joy out of the raising up. Lawrence. Um, so one of my family members is they're having their leg amputated. And oh, I'm sorry. Some may happen today, may happen tomorrow. Um, and the one thing that sort of brings to my mind is just how incorporations, the parts are expendable. You know, I could leave Microsoft tomorrow and basically no one would notice. But in a family, um, wow. every part is 
important is like if you're getting your leg amputated, that's like yeah. It, you can't replace that. That's yeah. It's every you know. It's like you know. You don't care if you have an extra eye. You don't care if you have an extra arm. That's you so want hard. that leg, and yeah. uh, I think God wants us to see that we're that important to him that we can't he can't just take us off and amen. replace us with someone else and amen and he wants the church to mimic that as well amen love you lucy thank you thank you i actually don't know if i can stand but okay. i'll try so for us many people know we came from we being ralph and i and our children from germany and we were there 17 years in a church which has thick stone walls and cold floors. And uh, I always say they sing the hymns from the time of the plague. And everybody is sitting there with... <laughs> There's no worship like here, you know. Um... <laughs> Sorry, honey. But it's true. And, uh, you know, it's a kind of somber church service. You know, it's written by the Presbyterian, uh, the um, Protestant church is run by a division. They get given their sermons. If you, you went into a different church that weekend, you'd get the same sermon as somebody else. In a different village, you just don't because you go to the church in your village. Right. You have no choice. And it doesn't feel like family somehow. And my theory is that God doesn't go to church in Germany. So when we... <laughs> <laughs> uh, when we came here... Ralph sent me, uh, you know the story, Ralph sent me out ahead to find out what church in America really looks like. And I was uh, really interested to see. I saw this one. We drove past. My father was here. And he said, that's the church you should try. They have the sign lifted up on the, on the street side. And I snuck in. And there used to be a black curtain at the back here in 2007. And I sat in the back row so no one would notice me. And, um, and I met you and Julie. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And then I came running home and I told Ralph, they have carpets, upholstered chairs, there's coffee. People are allowed. There's people with guitars with no shoes on on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> this place is alive. It is so alive and there is so much love. And I think that the church family, with a family, it, it's based on love, right? Corporate, yeah. there's not, not too much love, right? Yeah. But this church especially... Um, is the heartbeat, and this is where the love is, and these are my family members. For me and Ralph, that's why I say I don't think I can stand, I don't think I can stand for much longer, is that we have to return to the cold church in Germany, and so I didn't even want to come to church we're this not, morning. We're not done with this yet. Not, not until <laughs> like the wheels are up on the plane, and even then. <laughs> so I said to Ralph, you go, I'm not coming, because I didn't know that I could face it this morning. You put up pictures of our family, I'm like, oh, I hope no one sees I'm crying. But it's, it's a really bittersweet thing when you love these people. You join the small groups, the threefolds. I can't speak much longer. But, and then you have to give it up. It's really hard. And I just wanted to say we love you very, very much. And we will miss you. That's all I have to say. We're going to pray for them at the end of the service under the cross. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we just come before your throne right now. And, and uh, you know, God, if you really are sending them, if that really is what your will is, and we know that there's something better, and we ask you to give them the peace of God that passes understanding, and that gives them that, that, that just place of trust, that place of just knowing that you are taking them, that you're the one that's doing it, and that you have something precious 
that you have something you're going to do and they're going to look back years later and say, well, if I'd have known that. But in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we're asking you that if, if that isn't what you have and if something else is going on, if Satan is getting a moment here and taking a member of our family away, then we say, get thee behind, Jesus, Satan. Be gone and do not come back. The Lord rebuke you. And we say in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, open that door that allows them to stay and to continue to fill this body with laughter and intelligence, insight, value. In Jesus' holy and precious name. Thank you, God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and I don't wanna, I wanna take that moment and we're gonna go to here and I wanna say, she stole my last thing. Oh, we're done. We just need to be done. But, but I wanna say love. That was the one that I was gonna end with. The differentiation between a corporation and a family in the end, when you boil it all down, is love. I'm not saying that corporation people can't love each other, but a corporation can't love you. And an organization can't love you. A family that is not marked by love is not a family in God's eyes at all. A family is marked by love when they're expressing God's will. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, this congregation comes before you, and we want to be known as a people of love. You said that when the world sees that kind of oneness, that's when they know something's different. I want to thank you that you're building that difference here. In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we haven't even really begun, and yet we've come so far. God, this conversation, I'm asking you to not let it drop. I'm asking you to continue to inspire, to get people on Facebook and emails and in conversation to understand what is it that a family does that you're trying to make your church to do so that we might function more deeply, fully, richly, and completely as a family, as the thing that you have ordained. God bless churches from big to small. But in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, when we say bless, we mean cause us to do your will. We are fallible. We are less than. We are incapable of getting to the fullness that you have for us. And we're asking you in Jesus' name to get us there despite ourselves. By your strong right arm, this congregation says to you right now, and every person, I want you to say this in your heart, God, take us to wherever you want us to be and however you want to do it. That's what this congregation says. You're the head of this church. You make it into what you want. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we reach down and we take this communion that is in front of us. And we take this lower cup. There's two cups there if you're visiting. There's two cups. We take this lower cup, in which is this body that was broken for us, and we recognize that Jesus' body was broken to reflect, to mirror the brokenness of our lives, to take upon himself the brokenness that is us. We stick our fingers down in there, and we break this thing in that glorious sound of us recognizing the ways in which we have damaged ourselves and our own lives, broken them. But Christ allowed himself to be broken that we might be made whole not just internally as an individual but corporately meaning as a family 
So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift up this cup in which is the healing that Christ had. And today we do not just pray for the healing of ourselves, but we pray for the healing of our churches, for the healings of these bodies, for the healings of these families, that dysfunctional no more, we might become the fullness of the family that you intend, bringing the life that you have through that. So in Jesus' name, we take this cup together that the church all of us together may be made whole in you. Thank you, Lord. And now we lift this cup in which is, <laughs> it's already finished. You said it was finished and later spilled your blood. And when your blood was spilled, everything that ever had to be done was done. It's just now up to us. It's up to you and us, but you to get us there. And so we know that everything that needed to be done for everything we just prayed has already been done. And so we, we take this cup, believing and trusting and knowing that it is finished. That it is completed and we're just waiting for it to be manifest. So in Jesus' name, take this cup and say, it is finished. His will is done. And as the ushers come forward and we prepare our offerings, we come before you, Lord. We come before you, gracious, glorious God, who has made us a family. And we give all to our family saying thank you God for giving us a hundredfold of brothers and sisters the mothers and fathers of sons and daughters of doing something so beautiful we do not withhold from our family we pour into it with the same richness that you intended God in Jesus name hear these acts these moments where we say your will be done by an offering, by a prayer, by a communion. And then God, do your will. <laughs>